you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning again. We are looking at the authentic church. We have looked at rooted in the word, church and discipline, church and mission. Today we'll be looking at church and prayer. Many believers don't pray. Some don't know how to pray. Some are not comfortable to pray in a group session for various reasons also. Many have stopped praying. Many don't go to church anymore and have become a drop-by Christian goer. More seriously, many have abandoned their faith because God did not answer their prayer in the way they desired. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to this topic of prayer which you have designed and established for your children. And Father, we pray as we look into this topic of prayer and church, help us, O oh Lord, to open our eyes, open our hearts, and to move further with our relationship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer is vital and central when it comes to the believer's life and the life of the local church. The church is called to make prayer a part of its ministry. Not to become a ritual and so mundane that we take it for granted. For one, we can lose the seriousness of the one we're approaching, who is God. And secondly, our approach can be so casual when there's no crisis in our lives. Prayers are not only for when facing crisis, but it's for everyday life through the empowering power of God's Holy Spirit for each one of us. Believers are informed from the Word of God that they are in a warfare against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of a dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What the Bible is saying to us, we are no match facing those forces that comes against us. There are supernatural powers working against you and I, and will continue with that pattern until we exit earth. And if we do not tap into the resources that God has provided, which is prayer, it will be difficult to cope 
with life here on earth. Human beings, out of all of God's creation, men, women, and children have been created in his own image. And God did that purposely so that we can have a relation with him. He can relate to us and we can relate to him. We are made in his image. He's our Abba Father, the one who cares for his children's well-beings. God knows your struggles. He knows about your struggles. For some, it's loneliness. For some, it's isolation. For others, it's the fear of the unknown. Whatever they may be, God is aware of everything. For he's sovereign and he's in control. He knows what you and I will encounter tomorrow. He knows what the level of tensions, distress, and everything else will be for you tomorrow, be it sorrow or joy. He's in it. And regardless of whatever you encounter in life, you have been placed already. The Bible tells us that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You have been placed. If you're a believer this morning, if you're not a believer, I encourage you to consider Jesus Christ for your life as you live here on earth and what goes on beyond the grave. However, as long as we live on this side of heaven, we will need all the help, and that help comes primarily through prayer. So the question comes, as you all might know, it's good to refresh your mind. What is prayer? Now I'll ask you to talk to me now. What do you think is prayer? One word, two words, three words? I'm not going to move until you talk. Conversation. Good. Anything else? Okay. Okay. All right. I'm not going to pressure you too much. There are many definitions of prayers. Prayer, simply put, is talking to God. Simply put, talking to God. Why pray is the next question can come up. Because we're called to pray. We're called to pray. Prayer enables believers to connect and grasp the nearness of God. Prayer demonstrates our dependence on God to do what we know He can do. God treasures the expression of prayers from His saints. He views our prayers as incense rising up to heaven. Prayer develops intimacy with Him. The Bible is filled with accounts of God's hearing and answering the prayers of His people. In Psalm 107, again and again we read, They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distresses. When Hannah was childless, she wept much and prayed to the Lord. When Jonah was in crisis in the belly of the large fish, he prayed. Moses, Gideon, Samuel, Solomon, Elijah all prayed. We have good, good examples in the Bible when it comes to these patriarchs, when they prayed. 
Jesus taught his followers to pray like the persistent widow. Supremely, Jesus prayed. His disciples observed him when he would go off by himself and prayed. And then they asked him one day, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And then Jesus gave him an outline, a pattern, how to pray. After praying all night, Jesus chose his disciples. Yes, even Judas. But he prayed all night. Prayer delivers. Prayer gives insight, discernment, and wisdom, while sin, wrong motives, and lack of faith hinders prayers. And it's something for us, church, to remember that God is under no obligation to answer prayers to our desires. He's not obligated. However, in the journey of faith, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. I'll say it again. Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. God is aware of your trials. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from God. Even the hairs on our head are all numbered. What does that say to us as believers? God sees your trials. God sees your crisis. God sees everything you go through in life. The stress, the tensions, the loneliness, the isolation, the fear that comes from the pressure of life. He sees your wounds. He feels your pains. He sees what you're facing in life. And his spirit is ever near empowering you to carry on in life. He's always there to help. We cannot minimize the stuff we go through in life. But we have a God who is supernatural and powerful and empowers us through his power of his Holy Spirit to carry on with life. In regards to mental strength, God brings relief to the mind. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, and here it is, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. No book's going to do that. No course is going to do that. Only God can do that. In 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The early church was experiencing a crisis of great magnitude. They have taken out John the Baptist. They have taken out Stephen. Gone. They killed them. Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, was doing harm to the early church. The Herods were despised by the Jews who resented having Edomites ruling over them. So Herod persecuted the church to convince the Jewish people of his loyalty to the tradition of their Jewish fathers by curry favoring the religious Jews. Jewish historian speaks of Herod that he was anxious to retain the goodwill of the Jews that he sets 
his sights towards persecution. Making arrest, imprisonment, and even savagely murdering believers. He had a rough time. Herod the Great, the grandfather of Agrippa I, is the one who ordered the slaying of the Bethlehem boys up to two years old in order to get rid of Jesus, our Savior, the newborn king, he rivaled. Herod had several believers arrested to please the Jewish authorities. Among them, James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, whom he killed, claiming that these Christ followers are leading the Jewish people astray after false gods. That was his claim. That was his charge. Both brothers, son of Zebedee, did not know what they were asking when you pondered the death of James in light of Matthew 20. James and John with their mother had asked Jesus for the two best positions in his kingdom. One at the left, one at the right of Jesus' throne. And Jesus made it clear of the painful realities of their request that there can be no glory apart from suffering. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? We can, he answered. James was arrested and killed by Herod, and John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. James was arrested and killed by Herod, and John exiled on the Isle of Patmos. It pleased the Jewish religious authorities where James was killed. Herod cunningly chose the Passover season when Jerusalem would be crowded with devout Jewish pilgrims to maximum coverage. Seeing Agrippa's anti-Christian movement please the Jews, he struck again, this time to make Peter something of a warning and a spectacle at his forthcoming show trial. Not wanting to be embarrassed, should Peter escape, he had maximum security. He loaded up the security. Can't escape. In Jesus' case, the authority had managed to squeeze his trial and execution into the last possible hours before sundown on Good Friday, signaling the beginning of the holy days. In Peter's case, the Passover week is already under the way, so Herod had to put him in prison for the remaining days of the feast and then bring him out for his public trial. In God's providence, he allowed Herod to arrest Peter. In God's providence, he allowed Herod to arrest Peter. The last two times, Peter mysteriously got out of jail. But this time, Herod was not about to let that happen. 
usually a prisoner, was chained to one guard. After arresting Peter and put him in prison, Herod had him guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. They took, they took turn, but four was always around Peter. He must not escape like the last two times. He must face public trials. Herod wants maximum security for maximum coverage to show what he can do before the pilgrims leave Jerusalem. The early church was referred to as a divisive minority group led by Peter, whose head was on the chopping block. Herod is ready. The ministry must not go further. It must be stopped. That was the setup with Herod and the Jewish religious leader. But Herod was about to learn the hard way fighting against God. It would have been better for him to heed what the Sanhedrin have heard from Gamaliel, a Pharisee and a teacher of the Jewish law in Acts 5. And he said this, so in the present case, I tell you, this is when they arrested and have the Christian believers in court at one time. It would have been better for him to heed what the Sanhedrin have heard. And Gamil said, so in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might be even found opposing God. And they took the advice at that time. Peter is kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. It is obvious why they were praying. They wanted God to do something. And there's an application here for all of us. When we look at God's providence in Peter's life, and the church's situation, it reveals to us of God's nearness and the assurance that he's aware, which is very encouraging when you and I encounter difficult days in our lives. And when the church encounters difficult days in their ministry. And so, on that night before Peter's trial, an angel of the Lord appeared in the cell and took hold of the affairs of that cell. I'll read again in verses 6 to 10. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bounded with two chains. He was chained to two soldiers. And sentries before the door were guarding the prison. He had two guards outside the prison cell as well. So he got two guards, Peter is chained to, two guards right outside the door of the prison cell. At all times, he had four around Peter. Two chained and two outside. And the Bible says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him. 
and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And what happened? The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he, he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel, was real or not, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. The iron gate opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. How would you like to experience that showdown? How would you like to experience that scene when your head is on the chopping block? Herod stretched forth his hand to destroy the church and to destroy Peter. The man Jesus named, hey little rock, feed my sheep. Little rock, take care of my lambs. While God does not promise deliverance from our struggles, he would often step in to act for his honor and his name and the benefit of his people. He would oftentimes step in to act for the honor of his name and the benefit of his people. We worship and serve a powerful God. He's powerful, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all knowing, he's always present, he's all powerful. And Herod was miss, messing, missing, I would just say, was messing with one of his child. And God took action. Yeah, he was messing with him too. He's aware of the things we have to deal with in our everyday lives. God knows everything. But at times, we have to deal with the elephant in the room. We wrestle in our minds when we pray and pray and things still go south. I don't mean on vacation. Things go south. Things go downhill. The elephant in the room. It happens to our lives. Why was James killed? Why did God allow James to die while Peter is rescued? Why some prayers answered in our lives and some are not? After all, both of these men are servants of God. These men were dedicated servants of God needed by the church. 
The simple answer is, God's sovereign will will be done. God sees your trials. God hears your prayers. This was an hour of darkness for the church, where their faith was pushed to its very limit. However, it is good to be encouraged that no matter how difficult the trials or how disappointing the news are, God is sovereign on his throne and everything is under his control. We may not always understand what God is doing. We may not always understand his ways. It's not, not our business either. But we know his sovereign will is best for his purposes even when his child suffers. We don't like to hear that, but it does happen. It's a reality of life. Though James was killed, that didn't stop the church to stand in the gap praying for him. They were in the gap. The early church did not wait for a crisis to bring fervent prayer, engage him with God, and to speak to him from a deep level of concern. They were in a habit of praying. That church, they all joined together constantly in Acts 1.14 reads, in prayer along with the woman and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And verse 5 reads, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. It was a prolonged, continuous prayer while Peter was kept in prison. They didn't throw up their hands. What the use? They're arresting and killing our people anyway. They just killed James. They didn't abandon their faith. They didn't stop meeting with other believers to say what's the use. And the question comes back to us today. What about some of us today? How do you operate? You drop by church when there is a crisis in your lives only? Or you wait to see some form, you want to see some form of blessing in your life or your family life? No. This church will have it together in heart for all the proper reasons. That was their habit. Praying. They met and prayed as a church. The word of God encourages believers to gather. We need each other in this hostile world. The scripture calls on believers, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't say you're guilty by raising your hand now. But encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day approaching, it is an evil and corrupted world we're living in and we need all the help we can. We need all the help. We need all the encouragement we can have from one another and from God's empowering spirit. Regardless of what you have to face in this world, even death, don't get disappointed. Look beyond your long-term investment. 
Jesus said in Luke 10.20, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, regardless of what happens here. You're going somewhere better than here. What Jesus is saying in other words, as I, I see it, shift your focus to eternal perspective as you take on life from this side of heaven. Shift your focus. The same Peter later, learning from his experience, wrote in his epistles to encourage us as he recaptures the Old Testament. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. Same Peter. He knows what he experienced, and he's there to encourage us from the word of God. As the apostle James died for his faith, Peter is brought to within an inch of a similar faith. In all of this crisis, God is exercising his sovereign control. And as the church stands in the gap, Peter was liberated. We do not know if Peter remembers that he will escape death at this time. For what Jesus told him, when he, was, when he get older, he's going to, how he's going to die. But we do know he was sung to sleep. He was having a good rest. With two guys chained to him. Locked up in the cell, this guy is having a cool time. He's having a good rest. It was not Peter's time yet. God's saints will go when their work on earth is finished. And this is a reminder for every redeemed believer that you are saved for a purpose to serve God. You live a life for God and to serve God. You have been empowered with abilities and spiritual gifts you receive in all of your life. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We must never underestimate the power of a praying church. We see the ministry of God's angel caring for God's children. Psalm 24, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. In verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And then he went on to verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The church was standing in the gap, praying for Peter, and God delivered him from the clutches of Herod. 
the supernatural outwitted Herod's expectation with the release of Peter. No match. And in verse 20 and 23, gave us an account how that fox Herod received judicial punishment. He was struck down with worms and died. And something interesting happened in verse 24. But the word of the Lord continued to spread and flourish. God took out Herod. Took him out. He and his sham trials. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we have asked of him. According to his will is the key to our prayers. So don't struggle with that elephant in the room in your life always. That is the key. It has to go according to his will. And we see that over and over. The praying church was totally unprepared and shocked when the door was knocked. Rhoda was so excited that she, with joy, that took her over. She shut the door on Peter in excitement to inform the praying group. And what the praying group said? No. Can't be. You didn't see right. You're out of your mind. This can't be. Go and check again, Rhoda. Here is it. At times, with our prayer request, we fail to see the way God is answering your request. Because that is not the way we are expecting him to answer. They were praying, but they didn't expect when God delivered. It shocked them. And many times in our lives, we pray. God not going to give us our desire at times, but he could answer in some way, shape, or form if we keep our eyes to look at what he's showing us. And that's one of the problems with believers. Keep your eyes open when you pray. God may not answer to your desire. He'll answer in some other form. However things turn out, what God ordained, we have to accept in his providence as hard as they might be. And it will be hard at times. Jesus in his humanity prayed that a cup of wrath to be taken away from what he was about to face. But he understands what was at stake and what the Father's will is. If he didn't say, not my will, but yours be done, none of us would be gathered here today. The Apostle Paul labored in prayer to have his stone take away, but God did not allow it for his pride was at stake. James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, teaches us that prayer of a righteous man availed much. He did say everything he prayed for will be answered to our desire, but much of them as they go hand in hand with accordance to God's will. 
Prayer is our highest expression of our dependence on God. The believer's responsibility is to pray and leave the rest to God for the outcome of his glory. All about doxology. In our homes, children are meant to grow from dependence to independence. But as the children of God, we move from independence to dependence on our God. Abraham Lincoln confided in a friend, quote, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere to go. In the horrific years of the American Civil War, President Lincoln not only spent time in fervent prayer, but also called the country to join him. And in 1861, he proclaimed a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting. And he did so again in 1863, stating, It's the duty of the nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruled power of God. Saying, the people have to own it. As a church, we have to own it too. Our dependence upon God. As believers, prayers put us in a humble place when we are dependent upon God. That is our place anyway, to be humble. Throughout our lives, may we, may we always begin our day with taking the posture of dependence as we pray, our Father in heaven. We wait with patience and submission until God gives us what we have requested or we gain understanding according to his will in the process. As you walk with God, you're going to see that process. He's going to give you insight. He'll open your eyes. Peter was kept in prison to be killed. God intervened and released him as the church was standing in the gap praying. Church and prayer. What are some takeaways we can leave with? Well, believers are called to make prayer a way of life. Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. The authentic church is a praying church. The authentic church is a dependent church. The authentic church stands in the gap of the church. Worship leaders. The authentic church is a praying church. The authentic church is a dependent church. The authentic church stands in the gap. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you. We do thank you for this time. We can look into your word and look at prayer that you have established, you have instituted, all for our benefit. Father, we're so thankful 
that prayer is part of our worship as we communicate to you to have the guidance, to have the wisdom, to have the discernment, to have the insight as we carry on with life on this side of heaven. Father, thank you for loving us through your Son, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. You did not leave us alone when you save us. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen.